Hey guys, good morning. How are you this morning? How are you this morning? Okay, I didn't, I didn't know if I heard you. Jesus is in the building, amen? amen. Oh, I love that. Someone, and I heard someone, woo, in worship. I love that. It's like someone knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, right? And he, they're excited about what he's doing in their life, amen? So good to follow Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way, right? If you've met him, you know that in your heart that there is no other way to get through this. I don't know how anybody gets through this life without Jesus Christ, especially the world we live in today, the culture that we live in. When up is down, left is right, nobody knows what's going on, but Jesus is a firm foundation, right? He is the rock, and we can stand upon him and get through this life. And not only that, but bring others to him to find the peace and the hope that they need. Amen? Amen. Good to be here with you guys. As Jeff said, my name's um, Dave Chafee. I'm a pastor with Agents for Christ Ministries. Um, I'll give you a little background on the ministry. It started uh, 14 years ago um, with two families. Um, it was my family and Bill James and his family, who is my brother-in-law as well. And uh, we felt called to go to the streets of the United States and bring the good news street level, just talking to people. And it was actually Bill's vision to do this, and um, he had been radically saved in uh, a through teen challenge. Um, he was a cop and ended up stealing drugs, doing drugs while he was a cop, and so he was in big trouble, and his wife was praying for him. She was a believer, and he ended up getting radically saved and, and coming out of teen challenge. And I, I had been saved at 19 years old, came out of drugs and alcohol myself. My family was... Uh, alcoholic, drug addicts, and uh, the Lord redeemed me out of that place as well. And so God is faithful uh, to reach into the darkest pit to get you out, amen? Uh, but, but Bill had been radically changed, and at this time I was kind of getting churchy. I don't know if you know the word churchy. is like, uh, you know, I'm just doing the thing. And I wanted to serve the Lord, but I had got kind of cold, and he got out, and he's fired up, and he's, let's go, fa- let's go evangelize, you know? And so let's go to the streets of Portland and start sharing the gospel. And so Man, that fired my heart right back up. It's like, if you are ever feeling cold or stagnant in your faith, you know what you need to do? You need to go tell someone about Jesus Christ. You need to go down to the, the grocery store, or the gas station, wherever you want to go, Starbucks, I don't know, and just begin to share your faith. And the Lord will stir your heart again for his kingdom and what he's done in your own heart, in your own life. It brings you back to life. And so we started doing that. And as, as we did, he shared the vision with me. He said, Dave, I believe that I'm, I'm called to be a missionary to the United States. I mean, what does that mean? I don't, you know, I don't know. And he said, I think we, we, we should go sell everything we own, buy a couple RVs, and just go share the gospel. And I said, oh, man, bro, you need to think again because I don't think I'm called to do that. You know? and, uh, but sure enough, we prayed and we served in our church. We, really, we actually prayed about it for about three years just earnestly seeking God, and um, through uh, lots of circumstances and situations, uh, we came to the end of ourselves and realized Jesus is telling us to go, so we did. We sold everything we own, um, bought a couple RVs, and we left with our kids were really small at that time, and we really didn't know where we were going, but we knew who we were following, right? And that's all you need to know is who you are following. If you, if you have Jesus in your life, uh, you don't have to worry about the rest. Um, he will take care of you, Amen. And so that we did, we, we started out just sharing the gospel, and from there we started a, a, a ministry, a 501c3, and we began to put together evangelism classes and, and teach evangelism at churches as we traveled. And as we did that, got this water here, as we did that, we, um, we began, more and more doors began to open. 
And so the Lord was blessing it. We actually toured for three years. We did three tours around the United States. And seeing people saved, seeing the church uh, ignited with a passion to share the gospel, tools to do it. And um, after about three years, we were just thinking, man, it's, um, our kids are getting too big to fit in the RV. Um, I, I noticed, my, you know, those little beds in the RVs? My son's legs were like coming onto the dresser off of the bed. I'm thinking, well, something needs to change here. You know, we still need to pray. And so um, I actually went on staff at my home church in Portland, Oregon uh, for about eight years there. I, and, and as I did, Bill James went to Uganda. The Lord called him and started Uganda Kids Project. And so the, the, the uh, ministry was taking different shapes. You know, we were still doing, uh, we had evangelism minute, as you heard about that, just a one-minute encouragement to share your faith. And then little gospel tracts, just little cards with the gospel on them. And we started making those for our own outreaches, and people started asking us, where do you get those? And so we decided, hey, let's start a website, just start shipping them. We ship them all over the world. And so those ministries continued to go um, as we were serving in Portland uh, but over the last four years, uh, the Lord had called us to back full-time as missionaries um, with Agents for Christ to start the 10th Hour Project. And that is a missional training program, as, as Jeff was saying, for young adults. And, man, we have seen miracle after miracle for, from the beginning of that, just pulling us out of Portland, Oregon, and putting us in Las Cruces, New Mexico, of all places. People are probably like, Where, where's Las Cruces? I don't know either. Somewhere in the desert. <laughs> it's about as south as you can go. Um, but uh, God just provided uh, a campus there and provided everything that we needed um, as we stepped out in faith and watched him do miracles. And so we've been there for about four years now, and we have seen God do amazing things. Uh, we've, we're going on our seventh term of 10th Hour Project. We do two terms a year. It's an eight-month gap year um, for young adults ages 18 to 26, um, and in it, they, they really focus on apologetics, theology, evangelism, and, and biblical worldview. We want to look at everything that's going on in this culture through the lens of the Bible so that we can align our minds and our hearts with what is true, right? Two plus two is always four. You can feel bad about that. You can, you know, I hope it's five or, you know, all these things in the culture that we live in. Uh, and we think that we can change truth, but you can't. The truth is the truth. If, if I tell you don't jump off a cliff because gravity exists and you don't believe me, you will learn the hard truth that it does, right? And so we want, we want the, young the young people of this, this country to be focused on truth, right? And the truth is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we've, over these four years, we've, we've traveled over 100,000 miles by van uh, to churches, schools, youth events, conferences, uh, where our students have had the opportunity to teach evangelism classes themselves, uh, share their testimonies, share the gospel with hundreds of souls all across uh, cities in America. Uh, it's been amazing. We have seen people come to Christ in, in schools and in beaches, uh, hotels, McDonald's, wherever we go, we aim to bring the gospel. And I really, my, my whole heart and my wife's heart and everybody that works with 10th Hour is to to create a heart that's missional, right? To have a missional heart that wherever you go, this, this sphere of influence that you have is because Jesus Christ has created you in a specific way to reach people that I can't reach and that no one else can. That you're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and he has a purpose for you. It's to reach people with the, with the, with the hope of the gospel, amen? 
And so we, God has just been doing amazing things. Um, we've had 51 students come through so far. That includes uh, Ian and Lydia who are getting married today. Woo, let's give it up for them. They were in turn four. Jason, Victoria in the back, turn five. Woo, yeah, and then we have some turn three students here and four students, and it's just a big, giant family of God. It's just been amazing because the friends that you make, the brothers and sisters that you make uh, while you're there is our lifetime. You know, it's a, it's a bond in Christ. It's amazing. And so uh, most of the students have gone on to serve in different capacities um, at their local churches. Uh, some have gone on to intern at partnering churches. Um, some are youth pastors. We have several on the mission field now. Um, some are back in um, Uganda full time. We have missionaries in Peru, in the Congo. And I pray that God will send them to every corner of the earth. Amen. That they would regard their life as nothing but to serve the living God. Amen. That's my heart, is that we consider our lives nothing, as Paul said, but to preach the good news and to bring people the hope. Um, so k- keep us in prayer. Our, our biggest term starts in August. We're going to be ramping up in nine months. It's go time, 24 hours a day for nine months. So pray for us <laughs> and that the Lord will give us the strength and the power. Amen. Um, we're excited what the Lord is doing, especially in a culture that has become completely anti-Christ. Right? We used to be a Christian nation. That is no longer. Uh, we know that. Hopefully you know that. You live in Babylon. Right? And so we are a minority. We are a remnant, but that doesn't change anything. Right? When Elijah ran because, you know, uh, he, this wicked woman was after him, he went and hid in a cave, and he was like, Lord, I'm done. Right after he slew the prophets of Baal. I mean, he saw the power of God move in a powerful way, and then immediately he's, he's going and hiding. But that's us, right? We're frail. We're fickle. But God said, no, I have a remnant, right? And he still does today. He has a remnant of people that are serving him, loving him. And we want to bring that light to a culture that desperately needs it, amen? A culture that needs it. We don't hide in the, in the building. We go out and we bring light. So the name 10th hour actually comes from John chapter 1 where Jesus has called his disciples, right? And there's this interaction with um, John, the, the apostle John and Andrew and Jesus. And Jesus is walking John the Baptist says, the, behold, the Lamb of God, and they immediately come after him and start following him. And there's this interaction that takes place. Uh, as Jesus turns around and says, what do you seek? You know, that's probably 50 sermons, right? And that's just that verse, right? <laughs> and, and they say, Rabbi, where do you stay? They want to be with him. And he says, come and see. And, of course, that unfolds this amazing life, right? A life that they never thought they would see. A life so exciting and filled with Yes, danger, right? And even death at the end. But the hope of heaven, the hope of eternity. And so that's where we got that name. We really wanted the students to see that to follow Jesus is the greatest thing that you could ever do with your life. And whatever he says for you to do, do that. Um, All your hopes and dreams laid at the cross. It was so cool that we were talking um, about the cross so much in worship today. And then heaven, right? It's like through that cross is the only way to heaven, right? Through the cross of Christ. And so um, I want to get into the word of God today. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, um, we're looking at verses 13 through 28. And the Lord brought me here really to have to do with the discipleship, you know, and the call, what it is. Um, I call this message the true believer. Um, you could call it uh, the cost of discipleship as well. Um, 
But it is the uh, narrow road that Jesus is calling us to. Sorry, Matthew 16, verse 13. Let's read from there. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to their works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some, there are some standing here who shall not taste death, till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Your word is truth, God. It is an anchor for the soul. It is the key to heaven. Lord, it is everything that we need for life and godliness. And we pray that your Holy Spirit, who is here now, would move in power in each heart, Lord, that we wouldn't just come here and gather uh, for the sake of singing some songs, stand up, sit down, shake a hand, but that your Holy Spirit would move. Some people in this room need comfort, God. They need comfort. They're desperate. They're broken. They're sad. They're lonely. Whatever it is, and you are the comforter, God. You're the only one that can touch that place in their soul where they need to be touched. Some need conviction, God. They're living in sin or they're living in apathy. They're not following you wholeheartedly. They've lost sight, and they need to be brought back. And then some maybe are not saved here at all. Maybe they've been here just coming to check it out. Maybe some have been here years and never surrendered wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. I don't know the situation, Lord. You do. And so I pray, Father, that I would move out of the way, and that you would um, rule and reign, that you would use me for your glory, God, broken, sinful man, redeemed by grace. 
So, Father, please move in this place, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before we dive into the text, let's give a little background to where we are at here in the text. At this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, his disciples had seen many miracles walking with Jesus. They'd had heard many sermons from Jesus and that he had shared all across of Israel as they traveled, bringing the good news to the Jewish nation. Um, not only Jews, but also the Gentiles. Um, he's healed multitudes of people, and they've heard his famous Sermon on the Mount by now. Um, he's taught them how to pray, and they have seen his power over nature, calming the wind and the waves. They, they've even seen him raise the dead at this point. And they saw the amazing wisdom and compassion of Jesus, even experiencing for themselves power over demons and sickness as he sent them out to preach the good news. They've, they've, the, the Holy Spirit used them in power, right? And you remember that story where they, they came back and they said, Jesus, man, you, could, you can't believe we did what you do, you know? And he said, hey, don't, don't marvel over that. Marvel that your names are written in the book of life, amen? Because no power on earth compares to being a, a child of heaven. And so as time was getting closer, Jesus began to proclaim himself as the Messiah. In chapter 10, verses 34 through 39, it says, Do not think, Jesus speaking here, that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so here Jesus is narrowing the path to eternal life, right? He's saying it's not going to be easy. And he's saying, you must put me first in your life. He warned them continually that persecution would come if you're to follow me. And Jesus taught that his kingdom was not, not, not of this world, right? It was an eternal kingdom. He preached that everywhere he went. It reminds me of Pilate when he was before Pilate. And Pilate's like, don't you realize I got power over you? And what did Jesus say? You got no power over me. This is exactly how it's supposed to play out. The Father put me here. I'm paraphrasing, guys. I do that a lot, so don't try to, wait, what is, is that what he said? I'm paraphrasing. But he said, you have no power over me. I'm completely in control, and I put myself here. Why? To die for the sins of humanity, amen? And Pilate was bewildered by that. But he's, he's narrowing the road to follow him. And he's also, during this time, he's warning people not to shrink back. See, not only will you be, as you proclaim Jesus Christ in your own heart and in your own life and in your family, people are not going to like it in your own household. I think sometimes people really fret over this. But look, this is an everyday occurrence overseas. Most of the world, 99% of the world who follow Jesus, they have a serious cost, right? They're, they will be killed for their faith. They will be ostracized from their homes. But yet when you taste the love of Jesus, what, is, what else is there? You don't want anything else. You'll go wherever he tells you to go, and you'll do whatever he tells you to do. But he warns them not to shrink back in Matthew 10.32. It 
He says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Very, very clear with Jesus, black and white, you know? I, that's what I love about Jesus, you know? Before I came to Christ, I, was, I thought I was an atheist. I was actually agnostic. Most people are agnostic who, who say they're atheist. Because have you been to the edge of the universe and seen there's no God? Well, no. Well, then you can't know. You're agnostic. You, you don't think there's a God, you know? You're not certain. Um, but you can't say with certainty there is not one. Anyways, um, but the thing that attracted me to Jesus was his, his boldness. He just said it like it is, and I could work with that. It's like, okay, it's yes or no, right? And he, he called me to make a decision, and praise God, the greatest decision you could ever make, right, is to follow him. And so at this bo- point, as Jesus begins to narrow the path, For those who follow him, he takes his disciples on a little detour to explain to them about who he really is, right? He's he's getting them to see the big picture here. In verse 13, he says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Sorry, who do men say I, the Son of Man, am? Now, Caesarea Philippi was an area filled with pagan worship. There were shrines and altars uh, to pagan gods all over the place. Okay, this is a very Gentile area. And Jesus uses this backdrop to make his point. And I think that's, that's pretty amazing that he takes them into a place of temptation, really. For some of them, they probably were totally disgusted because it's, you know, it's not Jewish. But others, their hearts might have been pulled to some of these things. You know, just like us, we're tempted by the world around us. But he takes them into this place and says, now I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to see where your heart really is. Are you ready to truly follow me, right? And it's kind of funny that he answers his own question there. He says, who do men say I, the son of man, am? So I'm going to tell you who I am, and then I'm going to ask you what the people are saying, right? But it's interesting, that title, son of man. It's a title of his humanity. Everyone born after Adam is a son of man, right? We're human. And so that, that title references his humanity, because Jesus was fully human. But also, it's a title of divinity. If you look at Daniel 7, you have to turn there. I think it'll be on the screen. Uh, Daniel seven thirteen says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and, and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and languages should serve him. This dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is God. He is God the Son. And so that title, um, Son of Man, references both his humanity and his divinity, showing that he is fully human and fully God. This is one of those mind-blowing things, right, that you can ponder the rest of your life. (laughs) But the disciples answered, look, they said in verse 14, so they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now there was much speculation about who Jesus was. Uh, Many thought he was one of the prophets, resurrected perhaps, reincarnated. Some thought he was Elijah reincarnated or that he came in the power of the prophets. Um, but this was all an underestimation of who Jesus was. 
You remember Jesus, when he, they asked him if he was Elijah or if John the Baptist was Elijah reincarnated, he said, no, but John came in the power of Elijah, in the anointing of Elijah, right? And so there, there's lots of speculation going on about who Jesus is, but then Jesus asks them in verse 15, but who do you say I am? And that is the question of all time, isn't it? That is the question that every single human being on this earth must answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? I'm sure the disciples were influenced by the culture around them and the stories they, that others told about Jesus. Even though they were with Jesus all the time, you know, they heard him speak, they seen the miracles, but still we're, we're human, right? And we, we, we doubt, man, we're filled with doubt. But, by the power of God, they're, they're coming to understand, okay? That there must have been doubts in their human reasoning, in their faltering minds, yet the Father reveals the truth to them. And he cho- chose to use Peter to do it. He says in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now Peter, the bold one of the group, right? He just jumps up. I know who you are, right? It's always Peter. He's bold, right? He's bold, to, he's, he's bold in everything he says and everything he does. He fails quite often, but guess what? Praise God. Just get up and say something. Let the Lord move in your life, right? I, I, I appreciate Peter because he, he didn't always get it right, but at least he tried. He just was getting in there, right? And this time, he's lined up with what the Father is saying, right? Peter just jumps up. And I'm sure, look, they question Jesus' methods, but they knew by the Spirit's revelation, there was a couple times before this that they had confessed that Jesus was the Son of God. So, and Nathaniel, he said that Jesus was the Son of God in John chapter 1, verse uh, 49. And then all the disciples said that Jesus was the Son of God when he calmed the waves in the sea. And they even worshipped him, right? And he received that because he is God. But notice what Peter says here. One, the Christ Okay, so Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. So he's proclaiming him as the Savior of Israel. Every Jew was looking for this. Since Genesis, who is going to come and save us? Who's going to come and redeem us? Who's going to come and free us? Right? The Savior savior of the Jews. But then also, number two, the Son of the living God. See, the Christ was another word for Messiah or Savior. And Israel was waiting for that one. But they, I think they did not fully comprehend this other part, that he is the Son of God. That was special revelation. Of course, it was hidden in the text, and they would find out later. But the Jews knew that this title was meaning that he was equal with God, right? And so they didn't like that, especially the, the scribes and the Pharisees. But look at Jesus' response. In verse 17, he says, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It was special, special revelation from God the Father, and it was revealed to the disciples. The Pharisees didn't know it, right? The, the scribes, they didn't know it. They wanted to kill Jesus. You know, when someone ever tells you, man, Jesus didn't ever say that he was God or that he was only a servant or this or that, um, why did they hang him on a tree? <laughs> it was blasphemy. That's why they hung him on the cross. They, they considered him a blasphemer because he said he was equal with God. 
And so Jesus says, blessed, look, you, you, bingo. You, you got it right, Peter. And verse 18, he says, and I, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So the Catholic Church would argue that Jesus is saying here that upon Peter that he would build his church, but it makes more sense that what Jesus meant was upon Peter's confession, upon the reality that Peter proclaimed, he would build his church, that he is the Messiah. And this is where, this is the church's foundation, right? That Jesus is the Messiah and he's the Son of God and he's the Savior. It doesn't make, really make sense uh, to say that the church was built upon Peter for several reasons. You can look at church history. But one, um, Peter never went to Rome, so I, he wasn't the first pope. Um, he never proclaimed to be over all the disciples in an in a authoritative uh, place. Also, he proclaimed that Jesus was the rock that the church was built on, the foundation, right? He proclaimed that Jesus was the foundation of the church in Acts first and second peter and so it doesn't make sense but what he was saying is that peter you understand that i am the rock that every that the church will will be built on and he uses that word church is like ecclesia it's a greek word meaning like a group it wasn't even a religious word at the time he's saying i'm going to build people that are set apart for me and they're going to be a light to the world amen but look what he says there that the gates of hades shall not prevail against it Aren't you glad, church, that there is no power in hell that can overtake God's people? None. I tell you what, I'm grateful for that. Because you can come under such heavy attack, right? From the world, from your flesh, from the devil, you can fail a million times. And you can think, man, am I going to make it? But God, who's rich in mercy and love, Never let anyone tell you that God can't reach you where you're at, no matter what you've gone through. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You are a child of God. John Trapp explains that the gates of Hades this way, all power and policy of hell combined. All the power of hell cannot come against you if you are part of the church. Gates symbolize power, right, or a place of authority. And so he's saying nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's amazing to me, man. I mean, I don't know where you're at today, but I hope you believe that. I hope you understand that in your soul, that no matter what life throws at you, that you are his child. Amen? Amen? All right. He goes on to say, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven jesus gave them tremendous power not only them but all who are born again by the spirit of the living god and filled with the holy spirit you have a power over darkness you have an authority to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth yes you every one of you the introverted ones the shy ones God has given you a power. I listen to what uh, Kenneth West says. He says, And whatever you bind on earth, forbid to be done, shall have 
been already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, permit to be done, shall have already been loosed in heaven. Jesus did not say that God would obey what they did on earth, but that they should do on earth whatever God has already willed. The church does not get man's will done in heaven. It obeys God's will on earth. Does that make sense? I think people use this verse to name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, and God's under my authority. I'm going to tell him what to do, and I'm going to go around just getting things done for me. That is blasphemy, and that is a false gospel. We align our hearts with what God's doing. So when the Spirit fills you, you can say, I don't think we should do this. The Lord is saying we should go over here and not over there, right? He's saying I should raise this person up. And maybe not this person right now, okay? We're binding and loosing. Does that, does that make sense to you? So God gives you authority and power to do these things. You're led by a spirit. Now, are you perfect in it? No, because you're a sinner, <laughs> right? You have this flesh. You have the spirit living in you. We don't always get it right. But we are, when we are filled with the spirit and led by the spirit, he, he directs us into things. And I experience this all the time in evangelism. I can be walking down the street, and the Lord will say, don't talk to anyone. Just sit down and pray. I'm here to evangelize. Well, not right now. You're here to sit down and pray. Or he'll say, that guy, go talk to him. I don't want to talk to him. He looks tough, man. <laughs> he looks like he's going to punch me in the face, you know? But it's, it's led by the Spirit. And then all of a sudden, this, the greatest conversation happens. It's like, wow, how did that happen? The Holy Spirit, right, being directed. This is what he's talking about, what, what he's going to give him. You have to remember that we are agents, people. We are ambassadors, that's why we named our, our ministry that because it comes from 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ or agents. As though God were pleading or begging through us, we implore you or beg you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. We, we bring that power, that gospel that can set people free, right? And we shouldn't back down from that no matter what the culture says to us. I'm still going to tell you Jesus loves you. I'm going to still tell you that you can be free. When we walk by the Spirit, we walk in an authority that is supernatural, led by Him for His glory alone. Let me say that again. When we walk by the Spirit, we walk in authority that is supernatural, led by Him for His glory alone. It's not for us. It's never for us. It's for Him. Amen? Verse 20 says, and then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. A lot of people think that uh, Jesus Christ is like his first and last name. That's not, that's not it. He is Jesus, son of Joseph, really. But his title is the Christ or the Messiah, right? That's his title. He's the king, right? When he died on that cross, what did they put over the cross? King of the Jews, Right? And they were like, we need to take that down. The, the authorities were all mad. Take that down. And Pilate said, hey, what's there is there. And that was, that was divine, right? It should be there because that's who he is. He's the king of the Jews, amen? He is the Messiah. It was not the time for these guys to proclaim this at, at the moment to the world. They were still much for them to understand first, especially about his sacrifice. See, this is the part of the gospel that's the mystery that they didn't get. They thought the Messiah was coming to be, you know, this political leader to come and just, let's get Rome down, right? But no, he was going to be the suffering servant. It says in verse 21, it says, 
from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So this is where the mystery of the gospel begins to unfold. It becomes revealed that Jesus is the suffering servant, that he's going to die for the sin of all humanity. He's going to die for you personally. And you can put your name in that verse. God so loved John. God so loved Dave. God so loved Ed. I don't know. That he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him, if Ed would believe in him, he would not perish but have everlasting life. Right? He did it for you. He laid down his life for you personally. And this is what they didn't get. That he was a suffering servant. So Peter jumps up again, right? <laughs> verse 22. Then Peter took aside, took him aside and began to rebuke him, right? So the uh, student rebuking the teacher, the king of the universe here, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. You got you to, uh, you know, admire Peter, man. He's like, this ain't happening. He's ripping out his sword and he's protecting Jesus, right? He's, con- he's protecting God. <laughs> I find it pretty amazing. Uh, but this is part of the Messiah's role they did not get. And so Peter jumps up, man. He's, he doesn't want this to happen. He's... Jesus, you're going to take over the the kingdom, man. You're going to push Rome out. Verse 23 says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. See, Satan wants conquered kingdoms, right? This is what Satan wants to do. He wants to conquer, and he wants to rule and reign with an iron fist. And that sounds appealing to some people, right? Just step over whoever you got to get to what you want, what you desire, right? And some, there's an appeal to that, right? There's an appeal to the flesh. There's, appeal, there's an appeal to the pride. We're going to do it. We're going to do it, right? And, and Peter probably being oppressed by Rome his whole life, I'm sure he was sick of it. And so he's jumping into a prideful stance here. He's letting Satan influence him. But God wants a kingdom of the heart right? This is that upside-down kingdom of God. It's a paradox. There's many in Scripture. But he's saying Jesus came to, for the heart. He came to conquer hearts. You remember in when, when David was anointed king, right? Um, first of all, God didn't want to give Israel a king. He was their king. No, no, give us a king. Always looking at the neighbors, right? The neighbors got a king. Why can't we have a king, right? But no, God wanted to be their king. But he said, all right, you guys can have what you want. And when they went to look for the king, they look at all these big studly dudes. They, they just totally bypassed David, right? A little ruddy guy. Um, but he was the one, right? But in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, right? It's all about your heart. Where is your heart? Is it Jesus? Does it belong to Jesus? Jesus' plan was to die to establish this kingdom for everyone who would allow him into their hearts, to have the throne of their hearts. That's why Jesus came, to do this. The payment Jesus made by his death and resurrection gave all of us access. He was bringing a kingdom that would bring not only Jews, but also Gentiles into the kingdom of heaven. Joel prophesied about this. Joel 2.28 says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. See, the payment was made that gave us, all of us, access to this. That God wants to give young men dreams to lead their lives, right? Old men visions about what we should do next in the church and in the city and in our world. The power, the supernatural power of the Spirit in your life. Jesus paid for that, to anoint you with that, to give you that. But then Jesus, after he says this, he begins to narrow the road to his kingdom. In verse 24, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, now he set all this up for them to see this. And they're probably bewildered now because he rebuked Satan, he rebuked Peter pretty hard, you know? And it's like, whoa, what, what are we doing? <laughs> I thought They probably agreed with Peter. But verse 24, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. See, Jesus gives this call to every Christian, to every disciple, and those are the same thing. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple, you are a student of Jesus, you are a learner, you come underneath him and serve him. And so he gives this call to everyone, not only them then, but now to us. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be his disciple, if you want to be his friend, you must first deny yourself, okay? Put others first. Consider others above yourself. There is where true joy is found. And we teach this at 10th hour all the time. Um, We have a big giant sign in the teaching area, joy. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last, right? That's where you find true joy. We get it wrong. Believe me, I get it wrong all the time. (laughs) You get in the flesh, right? It's yoj. (laughs) It's me first, then others maybe, and then Jesus at the end of the line. But this isn't where joy is found, and this isn't the call of the believer. The call of the believer is to be a servant of all, to humble ourselves and to forget about ourselves, our desires, our pleasures, our this, me, 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 right? And we live in a culture of me, right? You ever seen that? I've seen, I went to, uh, was shopping for clothes one time and this shirt, follow your heart. I'm like, bro, no, <laughs> no, don't do that. Why? Because the Bible says the heart is wicked and deceitful. Above all things, follow Christ, what he tells you, right? Put others above yourself and believe it, church, that when you, when you become a servant of God, there is a joy in it. Because you lose yourself and all the things that you're so fixed on, you know? And if you're not serving in this church, I pray that you find a spot and just come underneath the body of Christ and serve them. Bless them. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, right? Pride. But in lowliness of mind, right? I'm aligning my mind with the mind of Christ. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than yourself. Man, that's hard to do. We have to be filled with the Spirit to do it. Wake up in the morning, Lord, fill me with your Spirit that I may be more like Jesus and less like me. And then two, take up your cross. Now, we've sang about that this morning, right? The cross, all about the cross. See, the cross is obviously a tool of death and humiliation and suffering. And there were crosses all over the Roman Empire at this, at this time. So can you imagine being his disciple and hearing this? Like, man, we, we, see, these tool, we see this all over. It's graphic. It's horrible 
What do you mean pick it up? <laughs> I'm trying to run from it. I don't even want to look at it, right? But this is the pathway to everlasting life. This is t- to identify with Jesus facing public ridicule, discrimination, persecution, and even physical death if he calls you to it. To risk all to love people enough to tell them the truth. To risk. It's a risky thing to follow Jesus, right? To love people enough to to give them the gospel, right? It's what brings missionaries to places they know are dangerous because they just want to share the hope and the grace and the love of God, the mercy of God, so that people could be free, free of themselves, free of every other pursuit that leaves you empty, right? Take up that cross. And listen, the cross is, has nothing to do, has only to do with your faith, really. I mean, we talk about picking up your cross all the time, and there are things that we have to bear generally in life, right? Suffering. Every, every human being is going to suffer in some way, sometime. And so those things, yes, we have to bear those. But this is specifically about being a light to Christ and suffering for that. It's people knowing that you're a Christian, right? We talked about it earlier. If anyone denies me before men. You know, people see your life. You know, when I was, before I was saved, I see people that are saved and they have this big smile on their faith. And I'm like, what a dummy. What are you smiling about? There's nothing to smile about in this life. Yes, there is if you know Christ. You have peace, you know? But they had to tell me why they were smiling, right? They had to tell me why they were joyful and serving and loving other people. Hey, what's different about you? Tell them. You can't just serve, right? You have to be filled with grace and truth. Give them the truth so that they might be free. Sometimes I, I, I struggle to know that how many people did I pass up and not give the gospel that, Maybe that one day they'll be like, why didn't you tell me? Man, that gives me, the sh- it gives me the chills to think about. God's grace, right? He covers a multitude of sin. But pick up our cross and bring the gospel to the world. Your cross has to do with your faith. Philippians 5, 8. Or Philippians 5 through 8, sorry. Um, says, let this, be, let this mind be in you again, your thinking which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? That's what Jesus is calling us all to. You know what, I think we have, a, sometimes we have um, a Western idea of Jesus is, he, I accept Jesus as my Savior, and then I go live however I want, and he's just going to make me happy all the time. That is not the gospel, folks. That is not the gospel. Will he give you a peace in trials? Yes, he will. Will he give you a peace and a joy in storms? Yes, he will. But he didn't say they won't come. They will come. But is it worth it to you? Have you experienced the love of God in a way that, man, i got to give it to someone else? Because no matter what I face in this life, I have Jesus Christ in my heart, and he leads me through every dark storm and through everything. This is the greatest life, to follow Christ, to love people enough to bring them the truth in places that you thought you would never go. 
And here's another one of the many paradoxes. Verse 25, Jesus says, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's quite a a different um, view you're going to get than the world, right? The world says, try to get everything you want, right? Get the 401k, get this, get that, get the house with the picket fence, get the stuff. And then you're still sitting there going, why do I still think my life sucks? (laughs) You know, why am I still unhappy? Well, because those things will not fulfill that void in your heart ever. It's Jesus who will fill it, amen? It's he, it's, he, it's he that will give you life. So you have to give up your life. It's a total surrender of your heart to God and say, God, whatever you want for my life, that's what I want, no matter what it is. You, will you allow Jesus to lead you into painful things for others, to, that others might find hope? Those conversations that are going to be awkward, those, those places with your family um, that don't believe, Right? Um, to go into the, the slums in Rochester, whatever, the rough neighborhoods to bring the hope of peace or to, I don't know, he might call you to communist China. I don't know where he will send you, but will you say yes? Will you offer your life as a living sacrifice? Will you allow him to lead you into public ridicule for his namesake? This is losing your life for his glory. Listen, I don't know if we can change the culture in this country. I don't, I don't know that. But I, I guarantee this, um, a lot more people would be coming to Christ if we step into it, not hide from it. Go into it and bring hope and light and truth, amen, for his glory. I've been listening to this uh, band there called Gable Price and Friends. They're kind of a, a Christian, like, pop rock band. Um, but their lyrics are really, really powerful. Um, and they have this song called Not Safe. And I wanted to share some of the lyrics. It says, So down here, as in the heavenlies, the king shall write our melody. He is, he's good. He's wild. He's anything but tame. He's a good God, but good God, he is not safe. He's a good, good God, but good God, he is not safe. And some of, that might be weird to someone. I was we're actually driving in the car with my dad. He's 83. And we're driving. He's like, what, that, what, what are they talking about? You know, God, of course God's safe. I'm like, well, you're safe in him, but he leads you to places that are not safe as far as the worldly perspective is, right? He leads you places that are dangerous sometimes for his name's sake that people might know the truth of his word. Jesus is good, but he is not safe. He takes us places to risk loving the unlovable, to risk loving who people that don't want love. Love them anyways. That's what he did. Listen, I'm preaching to the choir, folks. I need, I need to hear this message because I don't want to do it either. In my flesh, I don't want to do it. But I know that God is calling me to it and he's calling us all to it. Will we, do, we will only do it if we get a glimpse of his eternal love. We will only do this if we get a glimpse, a fragment of his eternal love. If you, if you get that, you'll say, wherever, wherever you lead, Lord, Verse 26 says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? See, something that we must understand is that we are eternal beings, right? Death is just changing locations, right? Something we must understand. But the next phase is forever. Many will reject this idea today, but it is the truth. Verse 27 says, For the Son of Man will come in his glory 
for his father, the glory of his father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to their works. This will be the Bema seat judgment of Christ. Those who are in Christ will receive rewards for what they did. Listen, I'm not talking about a works-based salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. But there will come a day when we'll gain things uh, for what the works that we have done uh, in heaven. And you know what? If I'm a street sweeper, that's fine with me, Lord. <laughs> as long as I'm in. Amen. <laughs> but verse 28 is assuredly, verse 28, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus is referring to the Mount of Transfiguration here, where Peter, James, and John saw the transformed, Jesus transformed in their eyes, revealing his glory, right? This was that glimpse, that taste of eternal love that carried them. Not only that, but then after that, they were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit after the resurrection. Listen, Paul saw this firsthand. He made a reference to it in 2 Corinthians 2.4. He's talking in the third person about a man who went into heaven, right? He says and how he was caught up into a paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. Paul saw this firsthand. You wonder how he got through all his trials? You wonder how he took the gospel to places that were so dangerous? He knew where he was going. He knew the Lord that he had served. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Church, do you understand? Do you have a glimpse of his love? Will that be a radical transformation in your heart to love the unlovable as Jesus did? Knowing where you're going, bringing as many as you can to him. Have you tasted his love? It will be evidenced in how you live your life to put others first, to love the unlovable, to reach the lost and the desperate, to die a good death. For God, the glory of God. If you have tasted of his mercy, his grace, his undeserved love for you, his power over sin and his forgiveness, then I, like Paul, I beseech you, as Romans 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the word of God, that you may prove what is good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. Amen? Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace. I pray that your heart would be our heart. Lord, that uh, you would fill us with an inexpressible joy and a peace and a love that comes from knowing you. I pray for every believer in this building, God, that your, your, your spirit would move, rule, and reign, and that they would go out into this world and live a life um, of service to you, of love to the world. I pray for anyone that's in this building that is not saved today, that they don't know for sure if they're going to heaven, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would make it right with you. They would come to you and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please save me and that they would inherit eternal life from what you've done for them on the cross. All glory to you, King Jesus. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, thank you so much for having us. We have a table out in the lobby. Um, If you would pray about becoming a a monthly sponsor for us, um, really that's our greatest need, or simply just pray for us, please. But God bless you guys. Thanks for having us.